some of those again through the summer. Once in a introduce to you in a very general way the study that we're going to be doing through the summer. We're going to be looking at the Bible in in a big picture tonight and then kind of each week kind of lasering in, drawing in on some of the specifics that we will even touch on this evening. The Bible, well, let's just start this way. How many books are in our Bible? There are 66 books in our Bible. You know how many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New? 27. Do you know how many years it took to, sorry about that, to complete the Scriptures? In other words, from the time that Moses started writing to the time John finished writing, do you know how long that took? Any guesses? If you know, don't tell. What's that? 2,500? How, what? 1,500? It's actually 14 to 1,500 years. 14 to 1,500 years. How many different authors that we know of? 40, at least 40 different authors. We don't know all the authors. That's why we say at least 40. We don't know who wrote some of the books of the Bible. We don't know who wrote all the Psalms. We don't even know who wrote all the Proverbs. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. So we don't have a, a complete knowledge, but we know at least 40. And even though the Bible is broken up into 66 different books, there is one binding theme for the entire volume of Scripture. And you can give me that theme in one word. Jesus. Jesus. So if Jesus is the theme of the Bible, then all of the Bible has to somehow point to Him. And I guess if we wanted to be more laser specific, when we talk about a theme for the Bible, we would say God is drawing a people or reconciling a people or redeeming a people to himself through Christ for his glory. So there has to be, there has to be ways in which we find Christ and the work of Christ illustrated, described, pictured, principle throughout the Bible. 
But I think many times our failure is that we see the Bible as a book of stories. We see the Bible as a book of principles. We see the Bible as, okay, this happened, let's say, let's say, here's the story of Abraham. And, and we know how it started out. He was Abram and he was called to leave his father and go to a place that God didn't tell him where he was going. And, and, and he ended up finally getting there and having trouble with his nephew Lot. And God asked him to sacrifice his son, his, his only unique son Isaac. And, and just about when he was ready to plunge the knife into the heart of his son, God stopped him. Jesus spoke, I think. Jesus spoke to him. And then God provided himself a lamb. And we leave that in Genesis 22. And we never take it and apply it to, to Calvary. When you read the Bible, look for two major clues that we're talking about Christ. First, look for the effects of the curse. Look for the effects of the curse. And then, look for the effects of cross. Sometimes you'll find one or the other. Sometimes you'll find both. But whenever you see the effects of the curse and the effects of the cross, then we're getting to the heart of the gospel in all of the Bible story. Now I haven't asked you to turn to a text of Scripture tonight. Because our text is Genesis through Revelation. Would you turn in your Bible? Let's read beginning of Genesis 1. We'll do that. Actually, that would only take us about three days if we did that, by the way. Do you know that? You can actually read out loud the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation in about three days if you read Solomon for 24 hours. I've never done that at the churches in the But what I want to do is look at the Bible in a big picture way tonight. Starting with creation. Starting with creation. Of course, we're here. We're talking about Genesis 1 and 2 primarily. Chapter 2 is more specific. Chapter 1 tends to be kind of a summary of the creation work. Some people say that Genesis 1 and 2 can't be taken literally. Adam and Eve weren't real people. There's a gap between Genesis 1 1 and Genesis 1 2. Just trust me, folks. Do your own study on this. Look it up. Do some reading on your own. What you're going to find is Adam and Eve had to be real. Because if there wasn't a true first Adam, there couldn't be a real second Adam. That being Christ. If there was not a literal Adam, we didn't need a literal Savior. Because if a literal Adam didn't literally sin, why did Jesus have to literally die on the cross? 
But in the perfect, in, in creation, we have a perfect world. God has created. By the way, God is the sovereign creator. God is the sovereign king over his creation. You have the divine trinity all involved. In the beginning was, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, darkness upon the uh, face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters or hovered over the waters. The Spirit of God, Colossians chapter 1, by Him were all things created. It's talking about Jesus and by Him all things consist. But God created a perfect world. God put in that perfect world a perfect man. And that perfect world and that perfect man were places where the perfect king could have a place to rule as king. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and there's a curse. Why is there a curse? Well, because the man, the perfect man that God put in his perfect world, started out okay and he walked with God. So the perfect man walked with God, but the problem is, when he was tempted, that perfect man decided he didn't want to just walk with God, he wanted to be God. And if you go back and you look at, at how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted them the same way he tempts you and I today. She saw the fruit, that it was good for food, and able to make one wise. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. He tried to explain to him that God really didn't mean what God said he said, meant mean what he said. He's just trying to keep you from having, reaching your full potential. You can be God. And really, if we admitted it, we all want to be worshipped. We all want to be honored. We all want to be revered. We want to be served. We don't want to do that for anyone or anything else. So the man who walked with God decided he wanted to be God. And so he walked away from God. He sinned. In Genesis chapter 3, God pronounces the curse on the snake to begin with. Satan, Genesis 3.15. We believe it's the first reference, although a veiled one <coughs> to the gospel. I will put enmity between the, thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Again, that is God speaking to the curse. And basically what he's saying is, I'm sending a snake crusher. Then we see the curse on Adam and Eve themselves, pain and childbirth, thorns, sweat, hard work. Not that hard work wasn't in the garden to begin with, but it wouldn't have the same joy that it had when we knew what we were doing was for God and God alone. But in the curse, God gives a second chance. God gives grace. 
And really the curse takes us from Genesis chapter 3 to Malachi chapter 4 verse 6. I've asked you to do this before, but turn over there. Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 6. And whoever gets there first, say the last word. What is it? Curse. Folks, that is not a good word. That word means to be banned. And I think, obviously, it refers back to the banning of Adam and Eve from the garden. But there are other ways we can look at that word as well. It means that we're banned from fellowship with God because we're sinners. We're banned from enjoying His presence because we're sinners. We're banned from heaven because we're sinners. We are under curse. It also doesn't, it not only means banned, it means devoted to destruction. Do you realize this? Do you realize if there, was, if there wasn't any place called hell, if there wasn't a place, a literal place, if there wasn't a literal place called hell, to be banned from the presence of God would still be an ultimate curse. To not be able to access God would in itself be a curse. That's why some say the worst thing about hell is that God isn't there. That's why as you work your way between Genesis chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, you have horrible, 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 horrible stories. You have bloodshed. You have murder. You have rape. You have incest. You have war. You have famine. You have plagues. You have people... uh, sacrificing their children to, to, to gods by putting them through in, in, into open flames. You, you have horrible, horrible things taking place. Why? Because we're cursed. And so if things ended up in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, We might as well go out and blow our brains out. We might as well just give up. But turn the page. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The snake crusher. The one who would ultimately grind King Death into the dirt of an empty tomb. Christ came to break the curse. Christ came to banish banishment. I love this idea, this thought. Christ came to do what Adam didn't. Christ came to do what Noah didn't. Christ came to do what Abraham 
didn't. Christ came to do what Moses didn't. And why did they not do what they were supposed to do? Because they were under the curse. Christ came to do what David didn't do. None of those patriarchs, none of those great men could redeem one soul. They couldn't because they were sinners who needed redeemed themselves. Christ came not only to do what any other man couldn't do, Christ came to do what Israel couldn't do. You ever wondered, you ever wondered why Jesus, after his baptism, spent 40 days and nights in a wilderness being tempted? You ever wondered why? Well, now, there may be a lot of reasons, but I'll tell you one of them. To show us that he's not like God's other people who spent 40 years sinning in the wilderness. Christ came to do what Israel could not do. Christ came to do what no one else was qualified to do. You know what that was? Die for me. He came to take away the curse. He came to kill death. But to kill death, he had to die. To take away its sting, he had to be stung. To give life, he had to give his life. That brings us to the crucifixion. Gospels by now, if you haven't figured that out. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life. Matthew tells us that Jesus is king. Mark tells us that Jesus is a servant. Luke tells us that Jesus is a perfect man. John tells us that Jesus is God. And each of them in their own unique way and with their own unique emphasis takes us from either the birth of Christ or the early days of Christ up until the ascension of Christ. They each present the life of Christ from a unique perspective, aiming at a certain specific group of people in their writing, with their writing. But one thing that all of the four writers emphasize is this. Jesus was put on a cross he didn't deserve. And on that cross, we have the culmination of everything that we have read up until that time in Scripture. And we will help, it will help us to understand everything from that point up until now and even into eternity. On that cross, God's wrath 
was unleashed, the collected wrath of all sin of every sinner in all time was poured out on him. An infinite God dying for finite man, suffering an eternal hell for every one of us. As I said this morning, if you want to know how much God hates sin, look at the cross. If you want to know how much God loves sinners, look at the cross. But we can't stop at the cross because that's not where the story ends. Because if there were only a cross, then we wouldn't know the end of the story. Which is why we're going to say there was conquest. Death was conquered. Death died. Christ removed the crown of King Death and put it on his own head. And the scriptures speak specifically of the fact that the resurrection points to our justification. The resurrection makes possible God charging my sin to the account of our Lord Jesus and taking his righteousness and imputing it to my sinful account. The resurrection is also the way that God ultimately vindicates everything Jesus ever said or ever did. It was as if God were saying to the world and to everyone who would read about a death, a burial, and a resurrection, this is my son, hear him. ever saying as part of his earthly ministry standing on a mount of olives looking at his followers he says go be witnesses go to Jerusalem Judea Samaria. Go to the uttermost parts of the earth. The last thing Jesus said was go tell the world about a Savior. And he left that as the work of the church. If we are not, if we are not, Fulfilling our mission as a church, 
We ought to burn this place down. Because it's taking up God's real estate. But the church has been left here for the purpose that Jesus came originally to accomplish. And that is this, building his kingdom. The way that God is building his kingdom right now is through what he calls the church, the assembly of believers, local assembly and the church universal around the world. And the church is to be building his kingdom by reproducing itself. Every member of the church is to be doing their work of their ministry in their little mission field. Whether that's in a living room, a neighborhood, a school, a place of business, a restaurant. Wherever you are is where you are to be building God's kingdom. And we are the church. We are God's redeemed people. And just like he began in Genesis chapter 1, God wants fellowship with redeemed people. And he wants us to bring others into that fellowship. And so the the ministry and the work of the church, even though it continues today, ultimately will be done. And you can see that same pattern through the scriptures. You can see that God used people in certain ways, in certain times, in certain places for a certain amount of time. And then he seemed maybe to change emphasis and work in another place with another group of people in a certain amount of time. And then he changed. Not that he wasn't working everywhere at all times, but God worked in different places, in different times, with different people, in different ways. And he's still doing that. One day, it's going to change again. And from what we understand from the scriptures, the change is going to take place when a trumpet blasts, the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the clouds to meet, meet with them, meet the Lord in the air. So we shall ever be with the Lord. And sometime after that, what we call the rapture of the church, sometime after that event, when the church is taken out of this world into heaven. Sometime after that will begin the period like this world has never seen. Death, destruction, natural disaster, demon activity. Plagues, wars, 
It will be a holocaust like the world has never known. Within the first three and a half years of that time period, we're told about a third of the earth's population will be slaughtered. By the time that seven year time period ends, well over half the earth, the earth's population will have died. And the death won't be pleasant. Violent, painful, horrible. And where's it all going? Where's it all leading? It's leading to the time when God will gather the people he started gathering with Abraham. God will gather the Jewish people who have rejected him, who have turned from him and turned others away from him. And they will finally turn to him and recognize him as Messiah. At the end of that seven year time period, we're told there's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle that focuses on one little tiny place, but all the world is going to be focused there. The world's forces, are, uh, uh, armed forces will be gathered there. And the slaughter will be such that blood will run as deep as a horse's bridle in a river of blood. Christ will come again. And this time, he will come as the conquering king. You see, in the garden, he had a perfect world to come to. But man ruined that. But one of these days, he's going to fix it. He's going to make it all right. And there's going to be a coronation. <coughs> and he will be crowned king of kings. So that's the Bible story. And you're in that story. You're all the way through it. But it's not about us. But it's all about Him. And as we go through the summer, we're going to find Christ. And we're going to worship the King of Kings. Father, thank you that your story is perfect.